Thank you for the scripture reading tonight. We're going to be looking at Numbers chapters 13 and 14. And I've got some things that I want to share with you about the work here at Olive Branch and about, hopefully and prayerfully, the work that all of us are grateful to be a part of. And I want us to look at Numbers chapters 13 and 14 and think about the theme tonight. It's an important theme. Would you have gotten to the promised land? Before you answer that, think again. Would you have gotten to the promised land? Ultimately, we as God's people are striving to get to the promised land, the heaven. In Numbers chapters 13 and 14, we have an account of God sending out spies to survey the land. And there were some principles embedded in these chapters that I think are helpful to us as we think about the work of the church and what we are supposed to be doing as God's people. I want to begin tonight by first of all talking about the promises of God. The promises of God, of course, in this context relate to the promised land. When we talk about the promised land, in Numbers chapter 13 and following, God, of course, authorized Moses to send out spies to survey the land of Canaan. They went out on what we would call a reconnaissance mission. They were instructed to go out and to survey this beautiful land that flowed with milk and honey. So I want to begin with you and look at chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Time will not permit us to look at all these verses. But there's some principles and points that I want to stress tonight in our lesson. But in verses 1 and 2, here's what is recorded for us. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel, from each tribe of their fathers, and you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. So God has authorized the sending out of these 12 spies to survey the land. And then there is the report from their mission. And you think about these 12 men, they've gone out and they have surveyed the land. They've had the opportunity to look at the land visibly speaking. Note with me if you would, beginning in verse 23. In verse 21, the Bible says they went up, spied out the land. In verse 22, of course, again, they're spying out the land. But note, if you would, in verse 25, the Bible says, They returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So 40 days has given them opportunity to evaluate, to lay eyes on this beautiful promised land. And there were, as we would say, mixed reports. First, the report of the faithless. Here's what is said, beginning in verse 26. They departed, came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. At Kadesh, they 
brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. And then look at verse, if you would, verse 31. The men who had gone up with them said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So you have ten spies who lack faith, as we would say. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we've gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Then we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in their own sight. And so we were in their sight. So here is the report of the faithless. But I want you to listen, if you would, to the report of the faithful. And ask yourself, what camp would you have been in? Verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses. In light of the naysayers, the negativism, the pessimism, here's what Caleb said. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome now you think about Joshua and Caleb out of, ten, out of the 12 spies, the only two to give a favorable, faithful report about what they had seen. Now hold on to that, and I want you to look with me in chapter 14 very quickly. And think about the provocation of God. First, the reaction of the people. Now again, bearing in mind the context here. On the one hand, you have the ten spies who are saying, we cannot go up and take the land. On the other hand, you've got Joshua and Caleb, and, we're saying, and they're saying, we are more than able to do it. So note if you would. First, the people pouted, and then they began to plot. All the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. You know, Paul makes a statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that is a tremendous statement about influence. He said, A little leaven leavens a whole lump. Negativism, pessimism, has the ability to run rampant among God's people. And those who are negative, their attitude is, we can't, we never can, we have no ability to take on the work of God. And so here are these people, and you think about how incredulous it is that God has delivered them out of the land of Egypt. They've seen the mighty wonders, His great hand, His power, and now they lack faith. And so they question, why is the Lord brought us to the land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Can you believe that? The very people that had cried out to God and God had said, Look, I've seen your tears. 
I've seen your afflictions. And here is God who bore them on eagles' wings and, as Moses said, brought them unto himself. And now they want to go back to Egypt? Unbelievable. And so in verse 4, their plot. Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. So they want to go back. Now, if you would, note the response to the people. First, Moses and Aaron reminded them of the great blessings of God. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. You need to remember, God had promised them the land. Provisions were in place for them to take the land. Look, if God gives us a command, if God wants us to do something, don't you think he would equip us? Give us the ability to execute his will, his commands? And so... They are reminded of the blessings of God, and then they are reminded to be brave before God. Look at verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Listen to him. Do not fear them. And yet here's the response of the congregation of Israel. All the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. So now we think about the rebellion of the people. And there are two things in this context. First, their iniquity, and then their intercessor. Moses goes before God on behalf of the children of Israel, pleading with them, pleading with God to pardon their iniquity. Very quickly, note if you would, what is said in verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I performed among them? He said, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. You have to understand, these were the people of God, God's chosen. God needed a nation of people through whom the Christ would come. And God selected the children of Israel. And God designated that they would be his chosen people. And they have all these great blessings before them. And now God is saying, look, let me tell you what. I'm going to disinherit you. You're not going to get to go to the promised land. And so Moses said to the Lord, Oh, the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They've heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and that your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nation which 
The nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great. Just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering, abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. And now listen, verse 19. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray. According to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Moses went to bat for the children of Israel. And what Moses said about God, it was true then, it's true today. That God is long-suffering, He is abundant in mercy, He is willing to forgive. And we are evidence of that. But just because God forgives, and sometimes even though God forgives, there are consequences to our actions. And these people, many of these people would be prohibited from entering the promised land. So I want to Think with you for just a moment about the penalty imposed by God. And by way of application, talk about some things that pertain to us here at Olive Branch. First, I want you to think with me about those who didn't get to go to the promised land. All of these people that God had graciously delivered out of the land of Egypt, Thousands upon thousands of people aren't going to make it to the promised land because of three factors. Three very important factors. Number one, they lacked faith. How important is faith in God? Now we talk about the promises of God and the great blessings that come our way on a daily basis. Now, I understand faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer there encourages New Testament Christians. And in the context, he's encouraging them not to go back to Judaism because, as he would say, the promised land, the hope of heaven, is before them. It's before us. And he said, speaking of the children of Israel, that the gospel was preached to them just as it was preached unto us. But he said the problem was it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. Is it not the case that sometimes in the body of Christ, when we talk about the overall work of the church and the hierarchy of the work of the church that we lack faith. Now the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. But I want you to think about something. How many congregations of God's people and again, like I said this morning, we preach, we teach, we uphold the banner of truth. I believe that with all my heart that we're striving to the best of our ability to preach the truth. 
problem is not in what we preach and profess, it's in what we practice or don't practice. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Here's the problem. The children of Israel in Numbers chapters 13 and 14 as recorded by Moses many, many years ago, they were walking by what? By faith or by sight? They were walking by sight. And sadly, many of us are walking by sight and not by faith when it pertains to the work of God. Listen again to what it said. You remember they went out and surveyed the land. They said, we went to the land which you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, there's the qualifier. The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. We saw the descendants of Anak there. In other words, we can't do it. We have no prayer of getting into the promised land. Now you think about the work of the church that God has given us to do. God said you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God said that we are to build up those who are within the body of Christ. We are, as Jesus said, to teach them all things that he's commanded us. God said that we are to, as we have opportunity, do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. Now please listen very carefully. The problem is not in our theology. The problem rests in our methodology. Look, we're living in 2016. Are there things that we did 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago that worked and were successful and helped the church to grow? Yes. Some of those things may not work today. Some of the things that were so useful, there were tools that we used to spread the gospel, to be visible in the community, to be a light in the world. And listen, those days are gone. Nowhere do we have the right, the latitude to change the message. But our methodology sometimes must change. Are there things that we can do better in this community? Are there things that we can do better as a congregation of God's people? I think we can. And I think we're selling ourselves short if we say we can't. And my question is, are you a pessimist or an optimist? Are you in the camp of those who say we can or those who say we can't? If you're in the camp that says we can't, please listen very carefully. And I don't mean this ugly. But if that's your attitude, we don't need you. We don't need you. Why is that? Because a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Sometimes you have to clear out dead branches before a tree will grow. And it may be the case that some of us are filled with pessimism, we're negative, and we have this attitude, it won't work, we've tried it before. Let me tell you what, I don't care. The question is, what will work? What could work? What should we do? Let me tell you another thing that prevented some of those people from going to the promised land. Foresight. 
foresight. Look again at Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spout the land of Canaan. Now listen to him. Which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, every one, a leader among them. God had already promised them the land, hadn't he? Yes. So what did they need? They needed foresight to recognize, okay, we've got to have a plan of action to go in and take the land. So he sends out 12 spies. They survey the land. You can read the book of Joshua. When God called Joshua into service, he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. You therefore arise. Look, it's time for you to lead the children of Israel. This afternoon I was reading a Sports Illustrated. And as I was reading, I thought about how providential that I read this article today. It was about the University of Houston. It was written a while back. It was written prior to their game with Oklahoma and then reflected back over their win. Many of you know that the coach of Houston has now gone to the University of Texas. His name is Tom Herman. And here's what is said about him, and I love it. Herman has spent the past 20 months at Houston with a simple goal. Listen to it. Change the world. It's a football coach. A football coach at a university. And he's saying, change the world. Now I want to ask you a question. Is the work of the church a greater work than a football program? Yes. Here is a football coach trying to sell his players on changing the world. The work of the church is a life-altering work. It is a movement that says we're trying to change the hearts and lives of people. And I think we've forgotten that. We've missed the mark when it comes to what our work is all about. Now listen, if you would, to the continuation. The writer of this article talks about the foundation that Herman picked up at his previous stop. He had been one of the assistants at Ohio State. And here's what is said. Herman and his staff are relentlessly organized and plan out every conceivable detail. Now you tell me, if a football team, a football program, is that detailed, that precise, that visionary, then what about the work of the church? FedEx Corporation, world headquarters right here in Memphis, Tennessee. You think they know where they're going as a company, as a corporation? If you had the opportunity to sit down, sit down with Fred Smith and interview him and say, where do you plan to be in a year? What do you think he'd say? I don't know. I hope we're bigger and better than we were last year. You think that's what he'd say? What if you ask him, do you know where you're going to be in three years? What do you think he'd say? If you said, where are you going to be in five years? What would he say? If you said seven years, ten years, let me tell you what, he'd have an answer for every single, every single question. So where are we going to be in three years? Where are we going to be in five years? Seven years? Ten years? 
If the work of the church is bigger and better than a corporation, than a football team or a university, then why don't we act like it? Why don't we act like it? Why don't we go about the work of the church like this is the most important work on planet Earth? The devil sold us a bill of goods. He says, you know what, what, here's what you need to do. Just keep house. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. And guess what? The world's going to hell, and we're right behind them. Right behind them. Foresight. We did a program on GBN Live about two or three weeks ago. And that program got me to thinking. Matter of fact, I've been doing a lot of thinking the last few months, and not... I hope and pray you've been thinking. I hope and pray you've been praying about the work here. If you look at the work of the church here at Olive Branch, the first three months of this year, we were running at an unprecedented rate. We were blowing and going. We had spring break and something happened. I don't know what happened. But you can look at the numbers and you can see them begin to spiral. I've been racking my brain for several months trying to figure out what's going on, what's wrong. I talked to Jared, what's up? What's going on? So we did this program. And Don Blackwell and Glenn Colley were on the program. And they made some very insightful statements. And it got me to thinking about the work of the church here. And so one of the things that was said during the course of the program, Glenn Colley said, look, if people come into your building and they go into the bathroom and it's smelly and nasty, and he's using an illustration here, he said, like going into a restaurant, he said, do you think they'll come back? And the answer is no. I'm not saying that our bathrooms are smelly and messy. I'm just making a point. And so they started talking about the building and how the building, whether we like it or not, makes an impression. Talk to Jared's dad. And if you know Jared's dad, you know he is a no-frills, no-thrills type of guy. He is plain as plain can be. And I say that complimentary. And here's what Jared's dad said to me. You know what? A building shouldn't matter, but it does. Here's what I'm telling you. A building shouldn't matter, but it does. So I went out in the foyer. I told Brother Dio this. I went out in the foyer with Jared. And a lot of times when I'm in the foyer, all I see is people. So I walk back to the back, or rather to the front doors, and I look in the two little cubby holes. You know what I see? Walkers and wheelchairs. Now look, people have to use walkers and they have to use wheelchairs. But this is not a nursing home. Is that what we want people to see when they walk through the doors? And so I'm standing there and I'm looking at our sofa and our, our chairs. You know what I see? Frayed material, soiled. We talk about a great first impression. That's what people are seeing. Now, somebody says, I don't like it. I get it. I get it. You don't like it. 
Look, I may not like it, but I'm just telling you, this is where we live. This is the truth. I look up over the, the doors. You know what I see? Cracks in the wall. Three feet long or whatever. So this is what people see when they walk in the door. Now I'm just asking you a question. Don't you think we want to make a good first impression? Back in the summer, drove me crazy when I would come by and look at our front yard and it looked like somebody had been out there baling hay. That's the best we can do. Get out here and bush hog the front yard. Are you kidding me? We need some pride as a congregation. Have some pride in this place. Now look, I'm not saying we've got to make it a Taj Mahal or anything like that. I'm just saying we're living in 2016. Whether we like it or not, we need to be neat, presentable, and up-to-date. You understand? You get it? You want to go forward? You want to, you want to grow and be what God would have us to be in this community? Then you've got to think big. Sometimes it costs money to make money in the business world. Sometimes you've got to spend money to reach people. That's just one observation. We talk about foresight. I can't tell you how important it is for every single one of us to be friendly. You ought to view yourself as a quote-unquote welcome center in this congregation. Every one of you, young, old, doesn't matter. You are a welcome center. When people walk in this door and they've never been here before, we ought to be on them like white on rice. We ought to be all over them. When they leave here, we ought to make it a point to try to contact them through the week, whether it's a phone call, a card, whatever. Friendliness. I can't tell you how important. When people come in, if it's a cold, sterile environment, guess what? They're not coming back. I promise you they won't come back. And if they do, then we just got lucky. A lot of members of this congregation, a lot of you are back tonight, and I appreciate that. A lot of folks still not back. Look, I didn't enter into these lessons thinking it's a one-and-done deal. I understand reviving the lives of people takes time. And so, look, if we need to turn it up hotter, we can do that, whatever it takes. But when people miss the services and they don't come, here's what they need. They need a phone call. They need a visit, don't they? When people aren't here, we need to reach out to them. Why? Because we're the body of Christ. We belong to the church. And we're supposed to be together. We're trying to get to heaven. So if somebody comes in here, look, we do a great job of getting people in the front door. The problem is sometimes we got them going out the back door as quick as they come in the front door. So what do we need? We've got to have some type of way of keeping people connected. And I would say this, every single person here, young, old, black, white, doesn't matter, needs a job. Needs something to do other than just come and sit and occupy a pew. We are not a worshiping society. 
I think that's what we think sometimes. We are not. Worship is just one part of being a child of God. The Bible says we are to be zealous of good works. Why? Because we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Our Bible class programs, they need to be sound in the faith and they need to be structured. And by that I simply mean we need people who are capable, competent, that can teach, who bring enthusiasm, and we need, we need to execute it. The heart of a church is the educational program. I really believe that. If a church wants to grow, you've got to grow spiritually. And then, visibility through service. Could I ask you a question? How many people know something about us in this community? How many people know something about us where you work? What about in your neighborhood? What about where your kids play ball? What do people in this community know about us? Sadly, we are the best kept secret in town. I want to encourage you to think about something. When you go to the grocery this week, when you go to the dry clean, whatever it is you're doing and you're out and about, when you go to pay for your service or whatever it is you're doing, would you mind, would you mind doing me a favor? Would you mind introducing yourself? Just say, I'm whomever. I'm a member of the Olive Branch Church of Christ. I'd like to invite you to Bible study Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Love to have you for worship Sunday morning at 10. Would you do that? James said, we have not because we ask not. Are you willing to ask somebody? Do you think enough of somebody and their eternal destiny to ask them to attend Bible classes? We've got a great youth program here. I mentioned this in class the other day. Did you know that 80% of our young people, when they reach the age of 21, leave the church? Think about that. 80%, 8 out of 10. Where will your children be 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now? You better do your dead level best to instill within your children the faith. Paul wrote to Timothy, he spoke of Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and the genuine faith that dwelt in her, his mother, Eunice, and then he said, and I am persuaded is in you also. Three generations of people. If we want to make sure our children are going to be faithful, we've got to set a good example. We've got to teach We've got to preach, and we've got to practice what we teach and preach. Look, these are just some ideas that I have. Just some things that I've thought about. I'm not an elder. 
but I pray for our elders. And I pray for them, I pray for their wives because they have an awesome responsibility. They have the task of leading this congregation in matters of expediency. And I'm convinced that one day we're all going to stand before God, whether elder, deacon, preacher, teacher, Bible class, whatever. Member, doesn't matter. We're going to stand before God. And God's going to say to us, I gave you a golden opportunity right in Olive Branch. Best of the best. And here's what he's going to ask. What would you do with it? What would you do with it? What will you say? Very quickly, they like fearlessness. Sometimes it's scary to think about the awesome task that we have to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. This message right here, this book right here, this is our guide. And when we think about what Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel, I really believe that the other works of the church, edification, benevolence, all tie back to evangelism. And so, everything we do, everything we do is based in this book, based on this book. Never do we want to compromise this message. But we can't have fear. Sometimes we become paralyzed by fear. And the fear is it won't work, we can't do it, we're not big enough, etc. Look, those are just excuses. God would never have told us to do what he did if he didn't think we could do it. You believe that? I want you to... I want to close with you very quickly. I want you to look at John chapter 4. I mentioned this this morning, or rather John chapter 2, in Bible class. I think it's a very important principle. John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, you remember Jesus' very first miracle turned water into wine. Sometimes when we talk about this account, we miss a very important point. In John chapter 2, In verse 3, the Bible says that during this wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, they ran out of wine. And so the mother of Jesus said, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now I want you to listen to what Jesus' mother said to the servants. Whatever he says to you, listen to him, do it. Whatever Jesus says to us, we need to do it. We know what the truth is. We have elders who support the truth of God, and gratefully so. We know what the truth is. We know what our work is. But we've got got to develop the plan to make it happen. And what Jesus is saying is, look, I gave you the great commission, just do it. You figure out a way to do it. You're supposed to help those who are needy, do it. 
you're supposed to be building up those in the body of Christ, then do it. In closing, could I ask you this question? Had you been living in the days of Moses and you had come out of Egypt, would you have made it to the promised land? Joshua, Caleb, and those 19 and under are the only ones that made it. Just the little ones. Would you have made it? This morning, this evening, I've gone longer than I typically do. But the reason for it is because I believe what we're talking about tonight is absolutely essential. And so, if we want to be what God wants us to be, we need to be revived. We need a revival here. There were some this morning that came forward. Some of you I know, as a matter of fact, I know it firsthand. You said you should have come forward, but you didn't. I don't know why you didn't, but you didn't. But I want you to know that you can come forward tonight. If you thought it this morning and you didn't do it, that means you should have done it. So I want to ask you, what's keeping you back tonight? We've got to go forward here. If we don't go forward here, guess what? We'll die. And if we die, you think God's going to be pleased with us? Absolutely not. So if you're here tonight and you need to make some changes in your life, you're not in, but you're out. But you want to be in. Look, tonight is your night. We can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. Jared can't. Dio can't. Billy can't. Look, it's going to take all of us. All of us have to buy in. If we don't all buy in, we're not going to be anything. So if you haven't obeyed the gospel, won't you do that tonight? Believing Jesus to be the Son of God, repent, be baptized into Christ. As Peter said on Pentecost Day, Acts 2.38, God will add you to the church. If your life is not what it ought to be, and these lessons today have been directed to the church, and you know you need to repent, you need to come home, you need to make things right, you need to get your life back on track, because right now you're a train wreck. We're here to help you right now as we stand and sing.